The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace-Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is our speaker. As we're learning about who God the Father is, we're also, alongside that, looking at what God's exhortation to us as believers is as to how he wants us to respond to that. And so we're looking at, <coughs> specifically, uh, looking at this uh, statement uh, that we see between 18 and 20 times in the New Testament. It's called the Granville Sharp Rule. It's used 18 to 20 times with reference to the Father. It's used a lot of times in the New Testament. I, I don't have any idea uh, how many total times it's used <coughs> all through the New Testament, but uh, used primarily to demonstrate the deity of Jesus Christ. <coughs> But it's also used with reference to God the Father. And while most of us would agree that for most people, I I should back up, for most Christians, uh, there's not really any doubt that the Father is God. But we looked for a couple of weeks at 1 John and we saw that there were some believers that were bothered by a group of unbelievers that had come into the church that did not believe uh, who God the Father said that he was. They did not believe who Jesus Christ said he was. And those unbelievers can influence and impact the way believers view who God is and uh, cause damage uh, to our theology. And then when we try to relate to that, to passages that exhort us to respond to the revelation concerning who God is, it affects the way we respond to God. And we can respond in a way that does not glorify him. And so uh, that's what... Tim's main study has been lately is is glorifying God. This kind of parallels it for a little ways. We're looking at Romans chapter 15. The first, uh, (coughs) excuse me, the first place that um, has this Granville Sharp Rule. (coughs) And the Granville Sharp Rule, just to remind, for those, some of you haven't been here, just to remind us what this is. You have dried out pen <laughs> and you trade that in for a non-dried out pen a Granville Sharp has the definite article the with a noun the conjunction that ties two nouns together which is and it joins and another noun or subject that's of the same case, if you have the definite article in front of the first noun, but not in front of the second one, these two relate to the same person or thing or concept. Now, uh, Leslie asked a good question last week about a personal pronoun uh, that was in that was in her translation. It's in a lot of our translations. Uh, uh, the God and our Father. So you have the, a personal pronoun, our. Uh, you can have an adjective, the blessed God. You can have an adjective because that just further describes this now. That doesn't change this rule. Personal pronoun doesn't change the rule. So you have, this is in its loosest construction, and we can see a really good, what I think is one of the best examples of the exception, or, or how, how these um, adjectives relate, is in Ephesians chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. <coughs> 
Ephesians chapter 6. I had an illustration out of Matthew chapter 12 last week and I turned to it and it wasn't a Granville Sharp in mine, but I went home and rechecked it. In the King James Version that I have, it was a Granville Sharp. So there's a textual problem there where one Greek manuscript has it as a Granville Sharp, the other one does not. But uh, this is uh, not a textual problem. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 21 it says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. So here you have a Granville Sharp regarding Tychicus. <clears throat> Tychicus is a, the actually has the definite article, the, not just a beloved brother, but he's actually called the beloved brother, the brother, and minister in the Lord. So he's the brother and minister. So you have this Granville Sharp. You also have a couple of adjectives thrown in here that describe it him further. He is not just the brother, but he's the beloved brother. And he's not just a minister, but a faithful minister. But that doesn't negate the Granville Sharp. He's still using these two subjects to describe Tychicus, two words that describe him as being brother and minister, beloved brother, faithful minister in the Lord. So you have two main nouns that are describing him, but he's not talking about two different people. He's not talking about a minister and a beloved brother. He's talking using two uh, descriptions of, of the same person. And that's what the Granville Sharp does. <coughs> the God and Father. Father is a further uh, description of this person who is called the God. So going to Romans 15. <coughs> Yes, yes. This brother, or this word and, could be even, it could be equal to, um, anything that describes this person as a further description of who this person is. Anything that conveys that idea that this, these two descriptions are the same person would be a, a, an acceptable translation. So Romans chapter 15, <clears throat> we have this Granville Sharp related to God the Father. <clears throat> In verse 6, <clears throat> excuse me, it says that together <clears throat> you may with one voice, some of your translations say one accord, some may say with one mind, some may say with one heart. There's a bunch of different ways that this word is used. <clears throat> but that together you may with one <clears throat> voice or with one mouth, literally, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> These <clears throat> words that are related in this verse, the first one that gives us some difficulty, this, this word that's translated accord, uh, together, <clears throat> one voice, the word we started to look at last week, <clears throat> it's a conjunction in the Greek that <clears throat> uses the word for one, homos, homos, <clears throat> and another word that is normally translated anger in the New Testament. It's the word thumos. And that <clears throat> can kind of throw us off a little bit if we try to take a really, uh, what, I'm not sure what the right word is. One of you could help me out, but a, a really rigid literal translation would be to burn together or burn, burn as one. Well, that, that sounds kind of weird. 
Uh, if we take it to mean how it's normally translated in the Greek, to be angry together or to be angry as one, but that's not the concept at all that's being talked about here. <clears throat> Uh, to get a really good idea of what this word means and how it's used in the New Testament, <clears throat> it's only used one time outside of the book of Acts, and that's right here. But in the book of Acts, it's used two different ways. <clears throat> it's used in a good way, and it's used in a, in a bad way. <clears throat> There's one work of the flesh <coughs> excuse me, that is uh, used in a good way and a bad way, and that's uh, the work of the flesh is called zeal. There is a zeal that can honor God and there's a zeal that does not honor God now this, he doesn't use the word for zeal here but zeal is an inward condition and I, I'm kind of looking at this as a kind of how zeal can manifest itself mainly because it's used both in a positive and a negative way in the book of Acts <clears throat> but to be perhaps a little bit more accurate in the way I think that he's using it would be to actually just to exert your energies together because you're burning calories as you're exerting your energies you're you're focusing together on one thing and you're working together you're you're harnessing your energies in a positive way that glorifies God that honors God and specifically here with your mouth <clears throat> but if you look at, at this in the New Testament in the book of Acts how it's used first of all in a negative way I think we get a better idea of what he's talking about here. Oh, this is positive. I want to start with the negative examples first. If you go to Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> Acts chapter 7. Verse 57. Acts 7.57 says, But they cried out, uh, this is at the stoning of Stephen here, and we have uh, Stephen saying in verse 66, I, uh, 56, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the God. Uh, so it's again, the God here is a reference to God the Father, <clears throat> and the Son of Man obviously a reference to Jesus Christ. Uh, I see the, uh, the Son of Man, uh, Jesus Christ, standing at the right hand of the God, God the Father, but, verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. My word together here is the same word that's used in, in Romans 15, 8. This is something they did with one mind, one, but it wasn't just something that they s sat down and had this thinking session with each other and thought logically of, of something to work towards. This is something that they expended a lot of energy doing. They burned a lot of calories doing this. They rushed together. And this is a demonstration of zeal with zero self-control, a zeal that does not honor God in any, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, zeal is an inward condition, but I see this as how zeal can manifest itself outwardly. What, what I see when you're demonstrating zeal, you might have a, uh, this passion inside but when it bursts out, this is one of the ways it can manifest itself. Obviously, this is a way it's demonstrating a manner which does not uh, honor God in any way, shape, or form. And obviously, they stoned Stephen and uh, put him to death. If you go to Acts chapter 18, we see this again. <clears throat> Acts chapter 18. 
verse 12. <clears throat> but when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, a united attack. They, they attacked him together. This is something that they obviously put their heads together with <coughs> to begin with, but they actually did something. They burned calories together. They, they were united in their, their, uh, their goal, but they actually did something that was damaging. They went to somebody, they made an accusation for the purpose of destroying Paul. So this togetherness demonstrated activity that they were all united in and directing their energies, bur burning calories, <laughs> a lot of calories, and exerting themselves in a manner that was dishonoring God and destructive to, to Paul. Now, last place it's used in a negative way, specifically is in Acts chapter 19, verse 29. <clears throat> is, it says here, oh, I'm in chapter 18, verse 20, chapter 19, verse 29, says, uh, so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together, that's our word, into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So again, uh, very clear what this united effort was. It was for the, uh, it, it was uh, emotions run amok that is seeking to destroy another individual. They're, they're, uh, united in purpose, but they're, they're very animated, <laughs> let's just put it, they're very animated, exerting a lot of energy uh, towards this endeavor. <clears throat> but this word is also used in a positive way in the book of Acts. And <clears throat> if you go back to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These believers were together in the upper room, and all of these with one accord. Now here, mine translates one accord instead of saying together, it translates as all of a sudden one accord. The same word. All of these together were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So here we have a group of believers who are exerting their energies together, but they're demonstrating self-control, uh, and and the focus of their their energies are in prayer meeting. They're having a basically they're having a prayer meeting. And just as an aside, something I want to emphasize: most of the time that this word is used here, it's used in relationship. Uh, to some some aspect of the use of a person's mouth. That's in Romans chapter 15. It was it says that you might with one mouth glorify God together with one mouth and with one mouth. Well, let's talk about how how we use our, our organ of speech. And here we have people utilizing their organs of speech together in a manner that is demonstrating control in a manner that's glorifying God because they're joined together in a prayer meeting. If you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Acts chapter 4. 
Oops, that's verse 1, verse 24. Uh, verse 23, these, these are um, the, saint, the disciples of these, uh, was it Paul, Peter and what John, I think, were in prison, if I'm remembering yeah, this right. Peter and John. I'm sorry? It says Peter and John. Peter, John, okay, thanks. Uh, when they were released from prison, uh, verse 23, yeah, verse 23, they were released. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. In verse 24, when they heard it, they lit, lifted up their voices together to the God. So here again, it's a reference to the Father. They were communicating to the Father and said so they're actually they're, they're praying they're communicating to the father they're praying and said sovereign lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them and goes on and on they're they're, they're worshiping god the father here they're united together and using their mouth to honor god to glorify god to give him his his true weight uh, we have uh, acts chapter 12 yeah. There's actually several, well, I won't say several, there's a few places that attribute creation to God the Father. That's one of the subjects we'll be looking at in God the Father, but just very, very quickly, uh, God the Father is the, the author of the decree, basically, and so God the Father was the one who made the determination to create. Uh, he whether he designated to the son or whether I mean, it was a it was a council of god all three persons of the god participated in it and so god the son is actually the one who actually did the creating but god the father is called the creator because uh, he was the one that made the determination to create and designated it to the son and the holy spirit was involved in that in organizing the creation so all three persons are called the creator even though the son was the one who performed most of the actual energy in actually doing the creation speaking yeah, yeah, everything in the scripture. Same thing. That's why you have a lot of the titles are are used co-equally within the God the Father, within the Godhead. You have Lord being used of the Holy Spirit. Lord is used of the Father. It's used of the Son. Creator is used of all three persons. <coughs> um, all three are, are referred to as being sovereign. At least, well, the Father and the Son are. I believe the Holy Spirit is. I don't remember for sure. But all three persons are identified as being Jehovah. <coughs> So they, they share they share titles because even though they're not doing the same thing specifically, they're all related, participating in the same activities, just doing different aspects of the, those different activities. chapter 12 verse 20 <clears throat> Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon and they came to him with one accord having persuaded Blastus the king's chamberlain they asked for peace because their country depended upon the king's country for food so here we have people it has nothing to do with whether they're honoring God or not honoring God this is just some people that got together and went to Herod all together with one accord and they used their voice. They, they obviously met together and had a meeting to determine uh, how they were going to approach this. They were of one mind because they came to a conclusion, to a harmonious uh, unified conclusion as how they were going to approach the subject and they together went 
and whether one probably one person spoke I doubt if the whole crowd was yelling at Herod or probably would have just thrown them all in the well I don't know if he threw people in lion's pits but <laughs> uh, Herod was not a real nice guy they probably presented it they had one probably one spokesman for the group but they were all unified in this and they used their voice to communicate what they had decided uh, in their unified presentation to Herod <clears throat> so these are there's there's some other illustrations <clears throat> that demonstrate this unity of purpose where people are not just together but they're expending energy towards a cause of some kind that they have come to an agreement on how something should be approached. But you can see the difference in how these people are manifesting versus the negative e uh, examples. The negative, e negative examples demonstrates a zeal that's run amok with no self-control at all that is <coughs> just crowd mentality that <coughs> is totally destructive. And yet here we have this idea of people functioning as one but with self-control and a mind that is not all in turmoil with the emotions that are just boiling within them, but people that have <coughs> calmed their minds so that they can approach a subject, a person, a difficult uh, situation <coughs> with calmness. And so in Romans chapter 15, <coughs> going back there, this is... <coughs> I may get into hot water over this, <coughs> not with you folks, but <coughs> to turn off the recorder for a minute. But this could be a, a, a demonstration of the di of, of difference between how some religious circles function in their gatherings together in a manner that glorifies God versus some that don't. In other words, some, some groups get together and allow their emotions, that they're all of one mind, but their emotions just run amok with them and they just go crazy in their in their services as they are, think that they're serving God, but they let their emotions completely run amok with them. Uh, we can see what emotions run amok with this together results in a, in a crowd mentality that obviously does not glorify God. <clears throat> but it is possible to be unified together, thinking the same things, and be directing one's energies in a manner that does glorify God. And that's what Paul <coughs> is encouraging here in Romans 15, that read this again verse 6 that together you may and he uses a subjunctive here which is a conditional clause <clears throat> it's a possibility strong possibility but not not a certainty but you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> now this is a continuation of a thought that has been uh, being developed in chapter 15 <clears throat> and so if we want to really understand what this glorifying uh, God with the, the mouth is referring to <clears throat> if you go back to the previous verse he says may the God so we're still talking about God the Father here may the God of patience and encouragement grant you the same frame of mind or give to you the same frame of mind with one another according to Christ Jesus <clears throat> Now, this is kind of a difficult verse. <clears throat> this goes along with kind of the, the question that, that Leslie just asked. <clears throat> Who is it that gives us our frame of mind? If you look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, we have that memorized. Set your mind on things above, not things upon the earth. <clears throat> and that's a Greek imperative, which is something that is encouraging you as a believer to do. 
it's encouraging it's actually not just encouraging it's it's actually it's an imperative you need to do this i need to do this to set my mind on things above that's the it's the key element to being spirit filled and it's a responsibility that's laid upon the believer it's not something that god does for us and yet and, and that's the same word that you use here, the, the your frame of mind you need to frame your mind on things above in order to be spirit filled paul is praying that God the Father will give to you this frame of mind. So what's the connection? What's, what's, what's the deal? <clears throat> does, is this something that we do ourselves, or is this something God the Father does for us? Well, I think we're talking about apples and oranges here. We're, we're talking about some, some similarities, but not, not identity. If we go back to the very beginning of the chapter <coughs> in verse 15, excuse me, verse 1, of chapter 15 he says we who are strong and this carries on okay we have to cl go clear back in the context all the way through chapter 14 because chapter 14 starts off this idea of of how different Christians are supposed to react to each other that with different maturity levels and people that are Christians who have a higher maturity level are to bear the um, immature ones help carry them along that means uh, help carry that burden it means dealing with with situations that uh, may be an issue for a younger believer that is not an issue for an older believer <clears throat> and having to bear up under circumstances <clears throat> and, and by the way in verse 5 <clears throat> uh, let's see here he says uh, when he says made the God of patience encouragement he uses the word patience here. He doesn't use the word long-suffering. And long-suffering is a word that's usually used in relationship to dealing with people, difficult people. He doesn't use the word forbearance, uh, which is dealing with people. He uses the word for patience, which is a word that God's, the New Testament, we tend to use it interchangeably, but in the New Testament uses it in relationship to circumstances. And yet the context is talking about dealing with people. <laughs> So if we reading through the con going back to verse uh, one of chapter fifteen it says we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. <clears throat> for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. For whatever was written before was written for our instruction, that through patience and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might be having hope. <clears throat> so here we have the foundation laid of Jesus Christ, who was the one who demonstrated patience and in offered encouragement. And <clears throat> the written word that, Christ, that we have that was left for, from, from Christ and that was passed on through the apostles uh, furthers our, our understanding of how to have patience and encouragement. And so I think what he's talking about here <clears throat> is in our relationships with other believers, he's not talking about the difficulties with an individual, he's talking about dealing with the circumstances that arise as we're working with other believers. That we're learning to have, when you're dealing with, with believers, <clears throat> a more mature believer dealing with an, a less mature believer, you're, you're going to be entering into circumstances with each other, and the circumstances can be difficult. The circumstances can be a, a weight to carry. And so this idea of patience is dealing with the circumstances that relate to other believers 
and being patient in these circumstances so that you don't provide a hindrance for uh, young believers to be there a stumbling block. So it's not that you're having a hard time with the believer, but you can be having a hard time with the circumstances as you relate to that believer. You see what the difference is? And so he, he says, may the God of verse, in verse five, the God of patience and encouragement grant you to have this frame of mind. <clears throat> I think he's talking about believers that are, are basically spirit filled. They've already framed their mind on things above so that they can direct love properly because they're relating to younger believers. <clears throat> But as a believer frames their mind on things above and is then spirit-filled, it would seem that this would kind of give some information that perhaps God the Father in some way works within that frame of mind to develop our frame of mind, to think, to give us opportunities to be directing love. He, he's describing acting love. To, he doesn't use the word love here, but he's describing loving other believers by helping bear their burdens. And as we're spirit-filled, God provides us, God the Holy Spirit provides us with love, but we have to direct that love. And it would seem here that, that <clears throat> Paul is praying that God the Father would work within our frame of mind. We're already directing our frame of mind towards the heavenlies and spirit-filled so we have access to love, but then the Father works within that framework of mind to give us insight as to how to direct that love. We still have to determine whether we're going to do it or not. We still have to use our decider to decide how we're going to respond to that. But it seems like God, what he's saying here is Paul, Paul is, seems to be indicating that God the Father interacts within that framework somehow to give us some, uh, way, some insight, perhaps, to recognize opportunities to direct that love. And here he's demonstrating <clears throat> that one of those ways in which we can demonstrate love or direct love is towards other believers that might not have the same maturity level that we do. Now, <clears throat> we can demonstrate that through the, the uh, hymns that we sing, uh, through written by people that don't have quite the same uh, knowledge background of the word that we do, and so they have verses that uh, are not in harmony with an accurate uh, portrayal of scripture uh, with uh, somebody who's praying and prays to Jesus instead of the Father. I mean, there's, there's a multitude of illustrations we can give <clears throat> But as we're dealing with circumstances <coughs> with, with younger believers, uh, Paul's prayer is that these folks might have uh, a level of patience and encouragement in dealing with younger believers so that they can glorify the God, who is the Father, with their mouths. And I think the, the best illustration of what this, uh, the impact of what this is talking about is, is in James chapter three. <coughs> James chapter 3 tells us that it's really hard to use your mouth well. It takes a lot of effort, in other words. It is, it's hard work. It takes a lot of work to use our mouth well. And that's what Paul is saying. James uses different language to describe in, in a, something very similar here. Uh, James... Peter. James chapter 3, I won't read the whole thing, I, but you can go back and read this, this whole uh, first half of the chapter would be beneficial, but um, verse 1 says, we, uh, 
not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that uh, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, but uh, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a mature man, able also to bridle his whole body. He's describing something that's taken a lot of work. For a person to mature to the point where they can tr control what they say, not just respond uh, in every little thing, just whatever pops into your mind, so the whole world knows what you're thinking. I used to think that that was an issue of pride because I heard people say, well, I say what I think. You know, it takes a lot of strength to, to stand up in front of everybody and tell, tell them what, to, what you think of them. Well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it takes a lot of strength to hold back and not give somebody the what all. It takes strength to do that because it takes maturity to control that. It doesn't take any effort at all to, to just run off at the mouth. It takes no strength. It's just easy because you just let your sin nature run amok and you can sit back without thinking about anything and your mouth can just flow on and on and on and get yourself into a whole kinds of trouble. But to learn to have discretion when to open your mouth, when not to open it, and if you do open it, what you let come out of it, that takes power, that takes strength. And he uses the term maturity here. In other words, you have to be grown up and that takes effort. It takes effort to grow up. We could go on here. It talks about the fire, fire that the tongue can kindle. <coughs> we understand all that. This is not something that we have to spend a lot of time. We know that our mouths can get us in a lot of trouble, and it takes a lot of strength <coughs> to control it. And that's one of the reasons why being spirit-filled gives us that strength, because our human nature <coughs> doesn't have the strength to control it. That's why part of the fruit of the spirit is what? self-control <laughs> and as I mature which takes effort it takes effort to use my decider to exercise myself to honoring God by reckoning myself dead to sin by set framing my mind on things above so the Holy Spirit can fill me and provide me with God's uh, the, the access to God's character in certain ways to demonstrate a character that, that glorifies it that honors him and to do that consistently takes strength, but it takes God's strength. And so <clears throat> we have this, this idea in, in uh, Romans 15, glorifying God with the mouth, it's accessing God's power to use our mouth in a manner that as we are together, unified together with believers, some, some more mature, some less mature, but to be united in our the way we devote our energies, expend our energies with each other to um, honor God regardless of our maturity level but using our mouths to honor God with. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 <coughs> verse 20 we have another Granville Sharp rule here not another rule but another illustration of this rule in Philippians chapter 4 Verse 20. <clears throat> says to, here we have the personal pronoun, to our God and Father. Um, it would be, <clears throat> the Greek order is to, uh, and to the, <laughs> well, 
the and to God. The Greek order is really, really cumbersome, but literally what it says here, and to the God and Father of ours, the glory until the ages of the age, into the ages of the ages. Amen. I looked at some commentaries just to see what they had to say about this, and there was, again, kind of unfortunate that uh, they seem to miss the entire impact of what he's saying here. It's just several commentators they had this much to say about this verse like one sentence this is this is just Paul's uh, benediction to the Philippians it's like this form letter um, like a lot of Christians have a form of closing off their prayers in Jesus name amen really doesn't mean anything it's just so I know that you're done praying I say in Jesus name amen it's just a form I give without giving any thought whatever to it nothing wrong with saying that but this is not just a form even though uh, um, Josh showed us last week in the afternoon <clears throat> that there's a consistency with how close with, with how Paul closes his letters off that is a true statement but it's not just a form that he uses to mindlessly close a letter off to say the end there's an importance there's an impact to what he's saying every time he closes a letter off and there's an impact to what he is saying here he's describing it to the God and Father, the God who is the Father, that would be another way you could translate this, the God even Father, the God who is the Father, you could translate it that way. Um, <clears throat> he says, to the God of ours and Father be glory into the ages. <clears throat> Why does he say that? Well, Yes, it's a closing of the letter, so you could relate this to the entire letter, but just for brevity's sake, because we don't have a lot of time left, if you just look at the verse before, we can get a large impact of why he's saying this. In verse 19, it says, and my, again, we have the God. You say that in English, and my, the God. <laughs> Gee, learn English, Jim. <laughs> Well, this is in English. This is Greek. This is using the definite article because it's describing a certain person of the Godhead who is the Father. And we know that because of the very next word, verse. The God is the Father. And so when he's saying here in verse, nine, uh, verse uh, 19, the God, he's describing the Father. The God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, this glory is being ascribed to the Son, where the glory in verse 20 is being ascribed to the Father. Verse 19 is giving us a promise. And this promise, well, giving us, he's giving the Philippians this promise. <clears throat> he's giving the Philippians this promise because of something that the Philippians had done for Paul. What had the Philippians done for Paul? Well, if you read, what? They supported his ministry. They supported his ministry. Uh, specifically, uh, several times they had supported uh, it. Just in the previous chapter, when he was at Thessalonica, he said, you, said, you sent to my needs. And Paul is grateful. He gives thanks to God for them supplying his need. That's another illustration of the many illustrations we have of how God supplies the needs for believers, usually. Uh, you know, when uh, believers... Uh, 
I've heard stories of believers that haven't had food. Tim, Tim has given this illustration this one, one day, uh, time early in their life when uh, he and Peg didn't have food. Believer, uh, just out of the blue, they didn't just go in front of the church and say, hey, folks, we're kind of short of food. Uh, they prayed, and, and a believer, God put it on the mind of a believer to supply for their need, and all of a sudden, somebody just brought food by uh, sometimes somebody's done that with with money, with financial assistance. I've received that in the past when I had need, and uh, somebody just provided for that need because God provides for our needs. <clears throat> well, the Philippians, God provided for Paul's need, but He used Christians to provide for that need. He used the uh, the Philippians at sometimes, at a few times, to supply for Paul's need, and <clears throat> Paul is appreciative of that, and he's saying, and the God of mine which is the same God as yours, he will supply your needs. Just as you supplied needs, my needs, that same God that, that, led, that directed you to provide my needs, that same God is going to provide for your needs as well. The God of mine will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so he is demonstrating here that I think that he's recognizing that these believers, maybe not all of them, but as, as a whole, these believers had demonstrated genuine spirit-filled uh, love for him and had directed their love towards Paul in, provide, in, in the, sac the spiritual sacrifice of giving. And so Paul is recognizing that just as God provided for Paul, that same God is going to provide for him, but he specifies that it's according to his wealth that's in glory in Christ. So he's talking about uh, that position that they have at the right hand of the Father. <clears throat> and he's saying that God the Father views that place, that position, as a place of great wealth. That's the place where we're made the fullness. That's where the fullness of the Godhead uh, is, uh, makes up what's lacking within us. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Father provides us his seed. The Son gives us eternal life. We have this wealth because of our position in Christ. Because of our position in Christ, God the Father always speak well of us. He doesn't say that the God the Father is going to supply every single need you have on planet Earth. But he says that according to his wealth in glory in Christ. God has an opinion. That's one of the definitions for glory. He has an opinion that in that place at his right hand, there is plenty. There is a supply that can provide for the needs of every believer. It may not fill my belly, but if you go, going back to Romans chapter 15, um, just to give one illustration of this, <clears throat> we're talking the whole context of Rome, the, the last part of Romans 15, well, the whole chapter just about Romans 15 is talking about the glory of God. If you look down at, at verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Two more aspects of the fruit of the Spirit here. And we have a, a, another <clears throat> conditional clause here. It's not, it's an optative, but it's a, it's a conditional clause. But he's saying, may the, the same God that um, he's, he's the God of encouragement and the God of, of uh, 
patience in verse 5. <coughs> He's uh, the same God that can fill you with joy and with peace. Talking two aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. That That's uh, wealth because even when I don't have a full belly, I can still appreciate what God is what is God is doing. That's what joy does. Joy gives me the ability to appreciate what God is doing even in the face of, of difficult circumstances. I can still be at peace even if I am um, in an airborne unit facing with the idea of possible deployment or the mother of a soldier that, that is facing that. I can be at peace with that because God is the one that supplies that. And, and there's, a, there's a promise associated with this that I don't want to get distracted with, with that. But that's what the God the Father, these are some aspects. We don't just have a cold statement saying that God's the Father. God's, the Father is God. The Father is God. It's, it's saying God the Father, the God is Father, but he's demonstrating aspects of his fatherhood by demonstrating his care for us. He's a good God. He cares for us because he supplies all of our needs in Christ. And that should carry a lot of weight. To him be glory into the ages, the ages of the ages. That fact should carry a lot of weight with us. It should impact the way we live our lives. And it's going to impact the way we view God in the ages of the ages because God's character is never going to change. The Father's character is always going to be one that demonstrates that same care for us in the future just as he's caring for us now. And so when he's saying to God be the glory into the ages of the ages, what he's doing for us now has impact clear into eternity future because that's the same God that's going to be dealing with us in the same way, demonstrating his goodness and his care for us into the ages of the ages. He's never going to change. The things that he's promised, the way he deals with us now, is going to be the way he deals with us in the future, except we'll be glorified. So a lot of the negative, the chastising part and some of the things aren't going to apply. But you get the idea. <clears throat> to him be glory into the ages because he's going to demonstrate, continue demonstrating a consistency of behavior towards us that demonstrates he is not just Father, he's not just God, but he is everything that pertains to being God and everything that pertains to being a good Father to us into the ages. So one more verse. <clears throat> I won't uh, hit that tonight <clears throat> or this morning. <laughs> it's my night. I've been up all night. <clears throat> so... <laughs> I, I go to bed when, when I go home. Um, and one more verse that we'll look in related to his glory. And then after that, there's several places where this Granville Sharp rule is related to uh, the fact that he's a God who is well spoken of and what, our res what he wants our response to be based on the fact that he's a blessed God. Uh, God and Father. <laughs> the God and Father who is to be blessed into the ages. Amen. Father, we do recognize that... <coughs> You are a father who is to be well spoken of because the weight, the impact of who you are uh, surpasses anything that we could ask or think. Um, you demonstrate a consistency of character that, that we can only hope to attain to, and we will attain to one of these days, but right now we're burdened with, with um, bodies of limitation. We wait for that glorification of our bodies and souls <clears throat> and spirit. But while we wait for that, we just appreciate the fact that you're a God of patience as you deal with us in our circumstances. <clears throat> you're a God 
who provides us with encouragement in our dealings with other believers and we have to be functioning with other believers to be able to uh, reap the benefits of that encouragement to reap the benefits of experience the full benefits of experiencing your joy and your peace in, in is by dealing with other believers <clears throat> and so father help us to be ones who are united together in directing our energies towards that end so that we can indeed uh, show forth the true genuine weight of who you are as you demonstrate your love through us and your other character qualities through us and the world can see that we can see that other saints can see that and spirit beings can see that so that we can indeed be ones who are glorifying you not just with our mouth but in everything we say and everything we do for your glory amen <clears throat>